I confess I am clearly deeply discombobulated today. So would you join with me in prayer? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. And I thank you that your word is bigger and deeper and richer than, than us. I pray that you fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lead our interaction here. Open our hearts to you even as we open up your word to us. And give you this time. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. A lot of times people will be talking about nowadays um, life expectancy and how life expectancy has been extended due to medical technologies and diet and exercise and not being hunted for food by tigers and whatever. You know, modern life expectancy is a lot better. And and I, I as your pastor, as a learned man, I'm going to tell you that is malarkey. You have to understand that is not true. Life expectancy has not changed one moment since before Noah. And, and if you don't wrap your head around that, you're going to have a wrong perspective about life expectancy and what you can expect your life to be. For instance, you know, science will tell us that your life expectancy nowadays is, for human life is on an average of like 72 years, which is ridiculous. That is not true. Because if you, if you think about it that way, if you think about it that way, then you think about people like Orpha Erickson, who lived to 101 and a half. And you go, wow, she just totally blew the curve. She just was incredibly blessed by God. And my friend Jeff, who died at age 30, obviously got gypped by God, right? Because the life expectancy is 72 years. Obviously, God did something a little askew. And that's the way you can start to think about it, is that somehow maybe God's not doing his job. But even the scientific people that are saying 72 years, they're not giving that as like, that's your expiration date. Y'all get 72 years. As if you lived for 62 years, maybe God messed up, or 82 years, and maybe God gave you an extra 10 years. You start thinking, haven't you ever thought, God gave me an extra 10 years? You know, there are people that will talk like that. Oh, we had an extra four years together that we didn't think we were going to have. I'm like, I get it, but that's that's the wrong way of looking at it. Because when you think that way, then you start thinking that God owes you those 72 years, and maybe something's wrong if you don't get them. Or maybe God isn't taking care of you like he should be. It tricks guys like me into thinking, oh, i got like 20 years left. I don't know, don't you assume that you've got years left? Some of you younger people, don't you assume, yeah, pretty much forever. I can leap from the back end of one open pickup truck to another open pickup truck, and I'm going to be fine. But that's not true. The life expectancy for a human being is not 72 years. You may actually want to write this down, because this is a scientific fact. I'm not making this up. I'm waiting for anybody to pull out a right. Okay, good. Gary's ready. The life ex- average human life expectancy is not 72 years. Average human life expectancy is two to three minutes. And that counter resets every time you take a breath. You might think I'm being cute, but I'm not. Test it. Unless you're a Navy SEAL and you've worked on it. How long can you hold your breath? 
And once your breath goes away, so do you, right? Your life expectancy, how long you're expected to live, really keeps getting reset by the breath that God gives you. And it is a gift. The breath that God gives us is a gift. We keep hoping that we've got years yet and that God is going to give us those years. We keep hoping that. And, and, and Paul tells the Athenians in Acts chapter 17, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And so we say, well, if he's the Lord of heaven and earth, couldn't he have done something about this situation in my life? Couldn't he have done this? Couldn't he have? Where was God in this? Why isn't God so much faithful? How come my family is struggling with this? How come I'm struggling with that? How come this happened? How come, where was God in all of this? And yet we're told in the very next verse that Paul says that God himself gives all men life and breath and everyone else. And that's worth thinking about. Because that suggests that while we're all hoping that God will keep us alive for years, that's not accurate. God keeps you alive all the time. If every breath is a gift from God, if he gives you breath, then God keeps you alive, not from year to year, for decade to decade, but every second. Every time you take a breath, by the way, that you never even think about most of the time, until you get COVID-19, at which point you're like, now I'm actually thinking about my respiration and I never used to do that. Right. We're told God gives you every breath and you go, right. How many times do you breathe a day? Let me rephrase that. How many times do you breathe a day without thinking about breathing. It's an autonomic reflex. My guess is you've gone through most days without thinking about breathing, which means that God is providing for you all the time in ways you're not thinking about. You're completely oblivious. I'm completely oblivious to how God is protecting us and providing for us all the time. Last week we talked about God giving us the bread of life and how he provides for us and keeps us going. Today I want to take that a step further and go, it's, it's not just daily bread, it's, it's the breath of life from every single moment, all the time, every day. Maybe stop and consider that just for a minute. Consider thanking God for that. The next time you wonder, why hasn't God been doing anything? How could this bad thing happen? Why isn't God being faithful? Because I expected to be, well, how did I die? How did he die? How did she die? How did I break my leg? Where was God? Why isn't he faithful? Why isn't he faithful? Every breath, every day is a gift from God. That should change our paradigm of thinking of God's faithfulness, shouldn't it? It's not just why didn't God keep me alive for years to come. It's why does God keep me alive every second of every day? So if you ever wonder why God is maybe not being faithful, maybe stop and rethink that. And he's been doing this since the beginning. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And I always love those verses, for a lot of different reasons. Not the least of which is that you get the whole trinity there, don't you? You have God, the Father, Yahweh, and you have his creative word speaking everything into existence, that word that eventually became flesh and dwelt among us. And you have the Holy Spirit, his ruach in Hebrew, nice onomatopoetic word that they use for wind and for spirit, for life that has 
that spiritual life to it. Ruach, his holy ruach, there with him. Same as the Greek word pneuma is in the New Testament. Wind and air and spirit, which is why you have pneumatic tires, right? Air, air-filled tires. Anyway, never mind. So, God is there. Triune God, Trinity God at the very beginning. In Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. Not that we look like God, but that we, we are reflective of God. Just as God has intention, God has spirit, God has interaction with the world. He wants us to reflect who he is in our construction. Anyway, chapter 2. God, Yahweh, formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And you're going to have to forgive me a little bit, just a smidgy bit. Maybe I've just had too much time on my hands in exile. But uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Hebrew and Greek today, more so than I normally do. But I love this section in Genesis because of the words that are being used. Here in Genesis, we see God breathe into into humanity's nostrils. The word there is nafach. It's... it's um, it's actually like a, it's like a, a snort, like a horse would do. He nefacht into our nostrils the neshama, the breath, the air, the the air of life. He nefacht the neshama, and man became a nefesh, a living thing. Now those three words etymologically have nothing to do with each other, but they sound a lot the same, don't they? So the writer of Genesis is going, I'm going to be poetic. He nefacht the neshama, and you became a nefesh. He breathed into you life, and you became alive. Which is an interesting way of saying it. He didn't breathe life into you, and you go, oh, cool. You go, no, he breathed life into you, and that's when you became alive. The ruach of God, the, the Holy Spirit, puffed his neshama into you, and that's when you became souls. That's when you became a living thing. Not just the Hebrew word for something that's alive, like a puppy is alive, or a or, or, or a tree is alive. No, you're spiritual alive. You have a soul. You're a nefesh. You are a living thing that happens to have some flesh around it. And that brings me back to Paul's words. The God who made this world and everything in it, back in Genesis, gives all men life and breath and everything else. And again, Paul gets a little creative and poetic here because he says, our creator gave us zoe and noe. Our Creator gave us life and breath and everything else. But you got your Zoe and you got your Noe. And they even rhymed in how we conjugate it in the actual Greek. It still, still rhymes, so it's still cool. And he continued, In Him we live and move and have our being, our Eresmen, our, our usness, our, our very being, who we are in our essential core. God gave us that. And even in today, in English, we mix around spiritual words with respiratory words, don't we? Breathing and air things get all mixed up with with spiritual things. Even the word spiritual comes from the Latin word spirare, meaning to breathe. So we talk about breathing as being re-spiriting, right? Respiration. Every time you breathe, you re-spirit yourself, i.e. you don't die, right? Your spirit retains in you. Why? Well, because you re-spirited. You kept breathing, therefore you kept being alive. Or you talk about charismatic people or, or creative people that will provide us inspiration. They are inspiriting us, right? Giving us their spirit into our spirits. 
like Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed. It's theonutos. It's, 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 it's God breathed it into you. He literally inspired it into you. Or the word that, I, that I've already used earlier in the sermon, we talk about the expiration dates on our food. You know, that ground beef will expirit itself at some point. It will, it, will, it will cease to have a spirit in it. It will expire, right? It will breathe out its spirit, which is actually poetic and inaccurate in a couple of different levels. Number one, I'm really hoping that my ground beef is already dead. <laughs> really want it to already be dead. I want my peanut butter to not be breathing. But secondly, breathing out the last and dying are not synonymous. In Scripture, they're not. They're really, really, really closely tied, but they're not quite the same thing. Job 14 tells us that man dies and is laid low. He breathes his last and is no more. And that's Hebrew word is, is gaba. It just literally means to breathe out. But you are expiring. And it sure sounds like you're saying, well, breathing is last and being no more, giving up your esmen, are similar synonymy things. But technically, even grammatically, dying follows breathing your last. They're not the same. In Genesis 25, Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age. He expired and then he died. And then later, Ishmael breathed his last and died. He expired and then he died. Isaac, in 35, breathed his last and died. He expired and then he died. In every instance, the person died because they breathed out the nephesh in them. They breathed out the spirit. They breathed out the living soul. They breathed it out. They ceased to be because they breathed their last. That breath that God had given them. Back in two, Genesis 2-7, God breathed into us and we became living beings. And so when we breathe that gift back out, we cease to be living souls, bookending those things together. We cease to be alive. Now, you might be saying, I, I think you're reading a little bit into that. The grammar, I think, bears it out. But there's another example in Genesis that spells out even more clearly. Also in Genesis 35, we're told that Rachel breathed her last for she was dying, which sure sounds like it's saying the same thing in English, but in Hebrew it's not. Completely different set of words. Our writer specifically says, she breathed out her nephesh and then died. She breathed that living soul out. Or if you want to think about it, even in Greek, when you get to the New Testament with Jesus, Luke says that Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I, I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last, and then we find out he died. But he says, Father, let me give you my, my pneuma. And then Dr. Luke gives us a medical term. He ekneod. He breathed out his breath. And he gave up his spirit. He expired. And that's why he died. And you might sit there and go, why on earth are you even going through this? Kevin, I'm so sick of this lit review already. Because I'm trying to clarify something. You don't breathe just as an autonomic reflex. 
And you don't just die because you stop breathing. You breathe because your very breath is a gift of God. The ability to breathe was itself a gift in your creation as God breathed a soul into you to make you alive. And when you die, it's not just your body stops doing physical processes like making your lungs go in and out. It's that your soul stops using this house and goes somewhere else. When you think about God being faithful, it's not just a matter of, but I wanted him to fix this part of this house. This wing of my house is broken. If God were faithful, why doesn't he fix this wing of my house? Sometimes God does. And sometimes God says, you do realize it's a rental, right? That is not where you will live. It's just where you're staying. Right now, Alex and I are staying at my, at my folks' house. The house with the scalding hot shower. Scalding hot shower. Part of me wants to fix it. And part of me says, they haven't used this shower in 20 years. And in three days, no one will again. It's not my house. This is not my house. And God's faithfulness is so much more than whether or not I keep having breath in my lungs or not. It's the soul that he's breathed into us, that breath of life. Even Jesus was supposed to die of asphyxiation. That's what you die from on the cross, right? You die from not being able to breathe anymore. And yet the very last thing before he died, we're told he cried out in a loud voice. He still had breath in his lungs. He didn't die from asphyxiation. He died because he chose to hand his nefesh back to God. Hand his pneuma back to God. Let that ruach, that living spirit, leave him. Maybe do it this way. Help me out here. And you at home, you can help me out here with this too. How many of you currently listening to the sound of my voice are currently breathing. Almost all of you. There's always someone. Then I submit to you, God is faithful. Whether he does anything else. Isn't that enough? Isn't that enough? God is faithful. Dayenu, isn't that enough? I submit to you, he's not finished with you yet. As long as you're breathing... He's still using you. He's still working with you. He's still wanting to interact with you. He's wanting you to interact with other people who are breathing. I'm pretty sure he's not done with you yet. If you are breathing, if you still have a living soul within you, God is keeping you alive. He also gives you daily bread. He also sometimes fixes the wings in your house. Oh, that's gravy. Praise God he breathed a living soul in me in the first place. Don't ever, so long as you breathe, entertain thoughts that God is not faithful. Don't ever. It kind of puts into into perspective other verses like um, when a suffering Job says, remember, O God, that my life is just a breath. I mean, yes, he means it as it's just a short, fleeting thing. And yet, it is just a breath, isn't it? It's one breath after another after another. That's life. And it's that counter 
that life expectancy two to three minute counter, unless you're a Navy SEAL, then it's maybe five or six minutes, being reset constantly because God keeps resetting it and keeps you being alive so many times all day long, every, even while you sleep. Yeah? You keep breathing while you sleep. God is actively keeping you alive. I think of the psalmist, probably David, we don't know, but the psalmist in Psalm 104 who says, when you hide your face, men are terrified. When you take away their breath, when you take away that ruach, that living spirit within them, they die, they return to dust. When their spirit goes, when you take that from them, and yet when you send your spirit, he says, when you send your ruach, they're created. You renew the face of the earth. And he could just be talking about you know, when you first breathe into them or when you give them life. But it is interesting, the order of events there. He says, when you take their ruach from them, when they die, they're dust. But when you send your spirit into them, you give them life and renew. It's like, so you're not just talking about that you gave them breath to begin with. You're talking about giving life to dead things. You're renewing them. When you take from them life, they die. But when you breathe into them, they live. This idea of inspiration that brings respiration and follows expiration, this idea of resurrection, is not a New Testament concept. It's all throughout the Old Testament. I keep picturing, you remember in Ezekiel when God gives Ezekiel this vision of a valley of dry bones? He's like, they are dead, dry bones. And he says, Ezekiel, I want you to say this to this valley of dry bones. Tell them in Ezekiel 37, I will put breath in you and you will come to life and then you will know and you will know I am Yahweh. And not just neshama. I will not just breathe and you'll have air in your lungs. I will breathe and you will have ruach. You'll be alive. You'll be this living spiritual alive. When we speak about the breath of life, God being our breath of life, we're not just talking about him creating you and giving you air like he does to the atmosphere, though he does that. We're not just talking about him breathing life into you like he does with mice. We're not just talking about him breathing life and sustaining you with that every moment of every day, though he does that. We're not even talking about him just breathing spiritual life into you, making you a nephesh instead of just a mouse with opposable thumbs. You are a living soul. His ruach has made you a living soul, sculpting you into something that reflects him. When we're speaking about the breath of life, or breath of life, and we're speaking about God being our breath of life, we're also talking about him breathing new life, eternal life into us. It's not just the air. It's not even just the spiritual life. It's him bringing the dead back to life. Because I hate to tell you, at some point, you were dead. Spiritually. You were stillborn spiritually. And if God has spoken to you, and you have let Christ work in you, if you let Christ, his blood change you from the inside out, if you've let his Holy Spirit come inside of you, he has brought dead bones, dry bones, back to life. He's given you new life, which is why we read earlier, 
on the evening of the first day of the week of that first night of, of Resurrection Sunday, when the disciples were together and they'd locked the doors because they were afraid, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and he's like, I'm, I'm not a ghost, I'm actually me. And the disciples were overjoyed, but again, he apparently had to say, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Each of these guys already had air in their lungs. Each of these guys was already a nephesh, a living soul. But Christ said, let me give you God's ruach. Let me give you God's pneuma. Let me give you God's spirit that will change you and give you life that you had no idea you were even dead in. Let me breathe this into you and then send you out. This is what God promised Ezekiel. This is what I'm giving you. No matter how dead you feel, no matter how dry you feel like you're bones are, your spiritual life is, no matter how desiccated your heart feels right now, if you're still breathing as you listen to me, God isn't done with you yet. And God wants to breathe ruach into you. He wants to breathe his spirit into you. Not just to bring you to new life as a Christian, but to empower you, to strengthen you, to direct you, to guide you, to move you. It wasn't just a, boink, now you're a Christian and I'm done with you. I'll go do other things. No, he wants to fill you and have you follow his steps every day, every second of every day to give you new life that you live out, new day. And all you have to do, all you ever have to do is breathe out and breathe in. Breathe out all the dry, dead bones. Breathe in God's spirit. That's all you ever have to do. As, hey, what do you have to do to become a Christian? Believe in God's one and only Son, Lord who sent Him. Believe that He is the Lord and the Savior of your life. Breathe out all the dead stuff. Breathe in God's Holy Spirit. That's all you have to do. That's all you have to do. If there are dead things in your life, breathe those out. Let God do spiritual CPR today. Breathe new life into you today. I'm reminded, again, I keep coming back to Job because it keeps coming up. Elihu, Job's good friend, as opposed to the other guys. Elihu says, it's the spirit of man, the breath of the Almighty that gives him understanding. The ruach breathed into a man, the very neshama of of the Almighty. And he says in the next chapter, the spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty is what gives me life. And then in the next chapter he says, if God withdrew that spirit, if he withdrew his breath, if he took his ruach away, if he took his neshama from us, if he ever stopped actively keeping me alive, all mankind would perish and we would return to the dust. Have you perished and returned to the dust? If you're listening to me right now, have you perished and returned to the dust? Then God is not done with you yet. It's not that he forgot to end your life. It's that every second he's actively giving you life because he's not done with you yet. I don't care if you're in the place of life you wanted to be. God is not 
done with you yet. I submit to you, he's still actively sustaining you. And if you have a faith that crumbles because you look at God's lack of faithfulness, I don't think he's the one being faithless. Because he is keeping you going. And all you need to do when he's breathing into you is breathe it in. Let him lead you. I don't say that to beat you down. I just say all you have to do, all you ever have to do is breathe out the stuff that's dead and breathe in new life and live that out. Let him breathe into you. Psalm 33 tells us that by the word of Yahweh were the heavens made, their starry host, by the breath of his mouth. And again, you get the whole... You get the whole trinity there in that little bit. Yahweh himself speaking his word and breathing his ruach into this world. Paul says, by Christ all things were created in Colossians 1. Things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He has created everything. He is sustaining everything. And all those things that you see around you that we tend to put worth into, that we tend to ascribe worth into, Christ says, no, no, it's just something I made. Or it's a corruption of something I made. But we're told in Psalm 150, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. If you have neshama, if you have any air in your lungs, Praise Yahweh. Do you believe that he gives you the breath of life every day, all day, all the time, over and over? Do you believe that? Do you stop and think about that? Do you want to live like that? Like Jesus is absolutely sovereign. He's the one who created everything. That he is faithfully sustaining you and better than this place ever could. And if you say, well, but this wing of my house is not operating, it doesn't mean he's not being faithful. Do you believe that he gave you life and is actively giving you life? That he is pouring his own Holy Spirit into you? Do you, do you want to, believe, to live like you actually believe that? Let me encourage you. Breathe out the things of this place. Breathe in the things of God. Breathe in his ruach and let that move you. Trust that he's always faithful. If there's any breath in your lungs, praise the God that has and wants to share that with you. So long as you have breath, use that God-given breath to praise Him with your God-given spirit. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Go live like He's not done with you yet. Amen? Dear Lord, thank you so much. I thank you for your word and I thank you for every breath that's a gift from you. Help us, Lord, the next time we notice ourselves breathing to say thank you and to live like every day you are faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.